All right. So um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg Scully. Um, I am part of a discipleship group here, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me, and then I'm going to take you a little bit of a journey. Um, so I worked for ASB for about 15 years uh, in two stints, actually. And uh, I started out as a teller working at a Lambton Key branch in Wellington, and I've gone through various positions in my first 10 years with ASB. Uh, so it's actually probably only been about 13 odd years um, and it was broken up by two years stint in Singapore um, but uh, I've been really fortunate to be able to work for a company that has uh, developed me and, and, and I guess spent money uh, on my professional development in the time that I've been with them so I was lucky enough that I got selected to go on a leadership development course and, and all sorts of bits and pieces to be able to assist me um, in my employment with them um, I've enjoyed a, a fair degree of success with ASB, which is probably why they keep spending money on me, the silly guys, um, which has been really good. So uh, I, I've never really wanted or asked or, or applied for a job. I've always been sort of tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, we want you to do this next thing and we want you to do this next thing. Uh, so I've lived a very blessed life in that sense. It was broken up by a two-year stint in Singapore where I worked for ANZ. I went to the competition um, but again, that was, uh, that was very much a blessing. I spent a little bit of time in there on the way back from a friend's wedding in London, had a conversation with a guy while I was there, and uh, he phoned me up when I got back to New Zealand and said, hey, why don't you come over and work for a couple, of, a couple of years? So we did. And while we were over there, my wife got pregnant with number three, our youngest, Ashton, and uh, we thought that's probably a pretty good time to start thinking about what the next move is. And as luck would have it, my brother... I uh, was getting married back in New Zealand at the time. I came back to New Zealand for his wedding. And I decided to take the opportunity to visit some friends back in the Waikato where we were living at the time. Uh, and of course, while you're here, taking a little bit of sport. So we went to a, a Black Caps game. And uh, I bumped into my old boss, who I'd worked, worked for for about eight years. And, uh, and he said to me, oh, mate, you're not thinking about coming back to New Zealand, are you? We've got a, got a job. We could really use your help. And I was like, oh, you, you can't afford me. <laughs> I need a job. <laughs> you can't afford me. And he's like, oh, we'll sort something out, we'll sort something out. Anyway, by the time I got back to Singapore, I'd been offered a job to be able to come back to New Zealand and, uh, and take this thing up. So uh, God's blessing uh, was spot on in that instance. So uh, it was an interesting job offer, to be fair. He said, we've got this flagship branch that we need you to sort out for us. And we have about 20 of these flagship branches around the country, and this one was sort of sitting consistently in the bottom two. Uh, it had recently lost its branch manager. The team was in absolute turmoil. Uh, the place was in absolute mess. So I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> Sounds fun. Um, but it was an amazing journey of change um, with some really great learnings attached to it. Um, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you tonight, and I'm hoping there's some good stuff in there. It would be fair of you to say, what possible relevance will that have for me? And that would be a fair question. Uh, we're talking about finance and, and so forth. But um, the reality is, in my experience, leadership and banking has really got nothing to do with numbers, which I'm really grateful for because I failed sixth form maths twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't dwell on that. Um, it's about people, okay? Uh, and that I'm really grateful for. Um, so leadership is about people. And as leaders, we are called to influence change. So um, my prayer tonight is that you'll be able to take some of this commercialized stuff that organizations and big business pay millions and millions of dollars for, and uh, you'll be able to liken and, and, and apply that in your personal lives. And I, and I mean that either personally, in your family, in your work situation, 
whatever God speaks to you about and whatever is relevant um, to you at the, at the time. So you will have heard it said uh, that there's only two certainties in life. What are they? Death and taxes, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure there's three uh, by this stage. Uh, it's death, taxes, and change. Very good. Um, I was telling some people earlier today, uh, actually earlier this evening, I, I literally stumbled across some stuff this afternoon in regard to supermarkets. So just to give you an idea of how fast things are changing. I was in to do with supermarkets at the moment. When I go to the supermarket, my biggest frustration is having to line up and, uh, and wait to be able to pay for the goods. And of course, in the last year, we've seen uh, the self-service kiosks flourish and a new way of being able to pay for my stuff. And then today, I came across Amazon Go. Has anyone heard about the Amazon Go supermarket that's opened up in Seattle, right? So this is a supermarket where as you walk into the supermarket, you swipe a QR code. That's a little thing on an app, by the way. And you just put your phone back in your pocket. And then you wander around the supermarket with your trolley. And you just take things off the shelf, put them in your trolley. And then you walk out. There's no paying for these goods. And they use a series of cameras and sensors. You could look this up. It's on YouTube. Um, like all good stuff, right? <laughs> um, so you, you can, uh, so they use a, a series of cameras and sensors to be able to find what you've uh, purchased, what you've taken off the shelf and put in your trolley or in your pocket or wherever you decide to put it, and walked out with it and they charge you for it. They've got all your details. They just charge you and away you go. And I'm like, man. That's crazy. That's what the future looks like. It's like, no, that's actually happening now. And if that wasn't enough, in Korea, Tesco's, which is a pretty popular UK brand, has set up a supermarket, but without a supermarket, if that makes sense. They just have a whopping great big warehouse with all the groceries in it. And as you walk through a subway corridor, right, which goes under the ground, People are walking so slow through there because it's so busy that you swipe a QR code on the wall, on the sensor, and as you walk along, you just touch the things that you want. They've got pictures of it on the screen. And you just touch it. By the time you get to the end, you swipe your, your code again, and a whole bunch of little Oompa Loompas in a factory go running around. <laughs> they collect all your stuff. They package it up real quick, chuck it on the next truck, and it's probably waiting for you at your door by the time you get home. So that shows you the speed of change. Change happens really, really fast. So the first note that you've got in your notes, I'm glad that I finally got to the notes because there's a few to get through, is um, progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. As Christians, we probably know this better than most, right? Progress is impossible without change. So um, as I got into this branch... I started to do some observation, which is kind of the first thing that I've been taught to do is rather than open your mouth, which is pretty hard for me, sit back, watch what's going on, see if you can take it in and start to form some ideas and some opinions. So after a couple of weeks of doing this, uh, it was pretty clear the magnitude of the task that I had taken on board. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty dire sort of situation. People were at each other pretty hard. Um, there was a lot of arguing amongst staff. I went back through a whole lot of customer service surveys, which we do an awful lot of, and you could see it in the uh, in the verbatim comments that customers were making that it didn't sort of they didn't get the feeling that people wanted to be there, um, or they had complaints about some of the service that they'd received, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was a pretty sorry state of affairs, and I knew that I was going to need to buy myself some time. Uh, 
And that brings me to my first point. My, my uh, regional manager, I was going to call him boss because he likes being called boss. My boss, he was a boss. And I'm not talking like he's a boss, like he was a boss. <laughs> and there's a difference between a leader and a boss. So I don't say this in disrespect to him. Um, we actually joke about it a little bit. We're very, very good friends outside of work. I still catch up with him pretty regularly when I go up to the Waikato and still have communication with him. So um, a leader. A leader coaches employees. A boss drives employees. A leader generates enthusiasm. A boss inspires fear. A leader says, we. A boss says, I. He fixes breakdowns. I'm going to keep running through leaders here. Fixes breakdowns, shows how it's done develops people, gives credit, asks, delegates responsibility, and responds. All good stuff, right? Bosses place fear for breakdowns, know or tell people how it's done. They can use people, take credit themselves when perhaps it's due to others. They tend to demand instead of ask. They tend to abdicate responsibility and make it somebody else's problem. And they tend to react instead of respond. So like I said, I don't say this uh, to disrespect my mate Doogie, because he's an awesome dude, but he'd be the first to say, oh mate, I need to learn some of this stuff and, and get a bit better at it, and we've had conversations about this. So knowing his personality type, knowing, uh, knowing him as well as I did, I'd worked with him previously for eight years, I knew I needed to buy myself some time, and so I put together a bit of a plan. And just before I get into that plan, there's probably a pretty good illustration of what the difference is between a boss and a leader, Right. Um, and I love the quote down the bottom, it's, a, uh, it's a, a really good one around leaders don't create followers, they create more leaders by leading from example, leading from the front. So, um, so I, I decided I'm going to propose to him this, I guess give him a real good understanding of what it is that I'm going to do and hope that he buys into it to buy me some time because I knew what he wanted was results and outcomes. He wanted to see things turn around, he wanted to see the branch do a lot better than it was doing, um, and I knew it wasn't going to happen straight away. So I said to him, Doogie, I'm absolutely committed to getting you these results and outcomes, um, but the first thing that I'm going to need to focus on with the staff, or one of the things I'm going to need to focus on before I can get to results and outcomes, is there, and you're working backwards here, right? Results and outcomes, the next one along, is behaviours and actions. It's getting them to do the right things. But before I can get them to do the right things, I need to set really clear expectations and provide rationale. So that's the next box along. Setting clear expectations and rationale. But before I can set <laughs> clear expectations and provide some rationale, I really need to fix the culture of this place, and that is around attitude and motivation. So now if I start left and work my way back through, if we can get the attitude and the motivation right, then people are open to understanding what's expected of them and how they fit in, and we provide that through rationale. We can then get them focused on the right behaviours and actions, and the results and outcomes will take care of themselves. We tend to go hard after results and outcomes but we forget a lot of the other stuff, okay? And so that's what I want to unpack with you a little bit tonight, is, is how to maybe add some context to the other stuff and the importance of it before you get into the results and outcomes. 
It bought me 12 months, you'll be pleased to know, which, to be fair, was probably double what I expected from him because he can be an impatient man, our doogie. Um, so I was really grateful for that. Uh, uh, yeah, right, cool. So we're going to start with the first one. But before I do, I actually need a volunteer. As you can tell by my glorious picture behind me, I am not much of an artist. I've already had some help with this. These are fish, in case you couldn't guess from the bubbles. That wasn't my idea, but a great addition. Uh, and this is a reef, okay? Are we good so far? I need someone to draw me a shark. Can I have a volunteer to draw me a shark? I have, I have an incentive. There's a carrot for you. Yes, because everyone needs a carrot. Thank you very much. I'm going to keep talking, but I'll get you to draw it. You're going to draw a shark. It's facing in this direction. It's chasing our poor, helpless little fish. All sharks are angry, aren't they? (laughs) Awesome. So the first area that we're going to go through is attitude and motivation. What moves you to action and sustains you? So the definition of an attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about something. It's your default position. Right, a settled way of feeling, uh, thinking, or feeling about something. Attitudes shape who we are and what we are. A negative attitude supports anxiety or depression, causing you to suffer. So your internal voice might be, "Why bother? I'd only end up failing again." If instead your attitude supports a healthy ambition, confidence, and self-worth, i.e., I'm not going to give up. I can do this. Then expect to start feeling more empowered and positive. Motivation, on the other hand, is simply the ability and energy required to sustain positive attitude. I love the wording around then expect to start feeling more empowered and positive. And we know that in our, in our world, right? We, we, we work with a strength that is higher than ours, but if you want to do this whole thing based on science, there's actually some science behind it. Yes. Rock and roll. Um, there's some science behind it. It's called, if you want to look it up, it's called cognitive dissonance. You know, if you've ever been bumping into someone you haven't seen for a while and they're like, how are you? You're like, awesome. And inside you're like, really? Am I awesome? I've just had a horrendous week. I've been sick for the last three days and I'm not awesome. But you kind of decide, yeah, I'm going to go with awesome. Your body actually, scientifically, will start doing things to match to your words. Um, it'll start to release endorphins and start to bring you closer to what you've just spoken out. So there are power. there is power in your words, all right? If a positive attitude is the fire, then motivation is what sustains it, all right? Customer engagement, or engagement as a whole, is a term that's used quite a lot in big business. They spend a lot of money trying to measure it, because it can be a hard thing to measure, and they often do that by surveys. Who's been surveyed for a customer experience, or perhaps banks of? Uh, fanatical about it, right? They do that to measure customer engagement. They do it amongst the staff. I did mine only a week ago in my organisation to measure staff engagement, all right? Engagement is a measure of the relationship between an organisation and its people. An engaged employee is one who is fully absorbed by and enthusiastic about their work and so takes positive action to further the organisation's reputation and interests, I'm going pretty quick, aren't I? I'm going to go again. And I'm going to try and slow down. I'm sorry, this is probably a little more TED talk than it is TD Jakes, but I'll I'll try and rein it in. 
engagement is a measure of the relationship between an organisation and its people. An engaged employee is one who is fully absorbed by and enthusiastic about their work and so takes positive action to further the organisation's reputation and interests. So how do we measure it? How engaged were my people, my team, my new crew? We had a look, do they enjoy their job? Some questions I might have asked myself. Do they enjoy their job? How do they look when they turn up to work? Do they act like they want to be there? How do they interact with each, other's, uh, each other or customers? How do they respond to responsibility and correction? And does their natural skill set align with their job description? It's really easy to spot. Um, and my team wasn't great, to be fair. It painted a pretty dire picture. Um, but who knows? Who knows? You can kind of get a bit of a feel for what's going on in someone's life sometimes even before they open their mouths. It's kind of written all over their faces, right? And it was written all over the face of my team. It was in their actions, it was in the words they spoke, etc., etc. And so there's a scripture there for you, um, Matthew 12, 34, which I'm going to summarize for you really quickly, which is, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, all right? That can be pretty revealing sometimes. And now I get to my picture. That's an amazing shark. I promised... I promised you an incentive. I told you there was a carrot for you. You can call me anything, but you can't call me a liar. I promised you a carrot. There is a carrot. (laughs) Kirk said if you're struggling, just chuck out a dad joke. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So this is the story of three fish. This guy's name is Maverick. And then I've got, I have to check, Doris. She's, she's here in the middle somewhere. And I apologise if there's any Dorises or Reginalds in the room. And, uh, and this, this one at the back here is Reg. Yeah. I'm going to paint a little picture for you here. These fish are all doing exactly the same thing, right? What are they doing? They're swimming. I told you this is the reef. They're all swimming towards the reef, right? There's not a lot of mystique about it. They're all heading in that direction. But they've got a big shark behind them. They're chasing them. What do you think the attitude is of Maverick? Our mate Maverick, that's a Top Gun reference for all of you movie buffs. (laughs) There we go. Compared to Reginald. I'll tell you a little bit about Maverick, right? Maverick, if fish could smile, and I'm pretty sure that they can based on the fact that I got a giant hook in my foot the other day and it was still attached to a fish and that fish was smiling. He was like, I got you. How do you like them apples? But if fish could smile, Maverick would be smiling. He's only got eyes for the reef, right? He's He's just loving it. He's not going to be distracted by what's going on behind him. That's history. That's in the past, right? I'm just focused on going forward. He's so excited, he's probably cheering on his fishy pals, Goose and Iceman and the other ones around here. And uh, 
if his little mate Nemo here with his crooked flipper wasn't quite going the way he needed to go, he would like, he'd probably just lend him a hand and drag him along with him. He's super psyched. He's going for it. Doris, here in the middle, uh, she's just in a ball of fish, to be honest. She's got that kind of safety and numbers approach to what she's doing. She's kind of hedging her bets a little bit, right? Because she's heard about the reef. She might have got a little bit of a glimpse of it in, in amongst the ball of fish. But right now, to be honest, she's just kind of following the crowd. She's pretty comfortable. Yeah, she's, she's there, there, there or thereabouts. But poor Reg. If fish had shoulders, Reg would have the weight of the world on his shoulders, right? In fact, he's looking over his shoulder the entire time, and he's just like, I don't want to get eaten. Right? He's operating out of fear, and that's causing him to make bad decisions, right? He's turning and, and jinking and jiving every which way to try and get away from this shark. Um, stress and anxiety is a very real thing in his world right now. And to be honest, it's got to the point where he's seriously considering just stopping swimming and we'll just let the shark swallow him up. Might be an easier option. And I can kind of understand that. So believe it or not, I, um, I have done a couple of triathlons in my time. And uh, I did them while I was in Singapore. I had a mate who, who I was um, doing a bit of training with. I was cycling to work every day. I was swimming to work most nights. Uh, swimming to work. Swimming most nights. <laughs> I probably could have swum to work. It was, just, it was a reasonable distance. Um, and I was going out for the occasional run. He's like, mate, we should do a triathlon. And he's Australian, right? So when an Australian gives you a challenge, you're like, bring it. <laughs> now, to be fair, I was pretty comfortable with the cycling. I was okay with the running, um, despite my burly exterior. It was a swim that I was a little bit nervous about. So I decided I did a bunch of training. Um, and I was feeling pretty good leading up to the event, but I was still pretty nervous about the swim, because I don't know if anyone's ever seen the beginning of a triathlon. They start with a swim. It is carnage. It's absolute chaos. So I took the approach of, I'm going to take a step back. When they say go, I'm just going to stay there for a bit, hang around, watch everyone else go piling into the water, and then amble on in and just take the long way around. All I was really interested in was finishing. And anyway, I kind of had this time in mind as, as to what I was going to do to swim in. And when I came out of the water, uh, because my watch had uh, drowned in the warm-up, my <laughs> wife, bless her, who was cheering me on, love you, babe, um, she's like, she yelled out the time to me, and I was just like, what? I'm like two minutes faster than I thought I was going to be. And I sort of felt like I was going past a few people while I was swimming, but to be fair, I was just focusing on breathing and not drowning and doing my own thing. And then when the times came out... Um, you could get your split times for each one. I had a look at the swim. And uh, of about 350 competitors in my, in my division, my grade, I came out of the water in about 15th. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. This is a strength. I'm going to use this strength. So the next triathlon I did, I was like, right, I got myself to the front of the pack. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gap these buggers. <laughs> yeah, have, have, don't picture that. That'll burn your corneas out right there. and the gun went and I went flying into the water like elbows out into it and about 40 metres off the beach I got swallowed up and it was like being in a washing machine I had people swimming over the top of me I got smacked in the face my goggles came off Um, I was in an absolute mess and I managed to just sort of work my way out to the side of the course sort my goggles out thank goodness they hadn't disappeared and then went to get back into the swimming thing. But my heart was going so fast, and I was feeling so panicked, and a bit fearful to be fair, that I just couldn't find my rhythm for the rest of the swim. It was the worst 
20 odd minutes of my life. Um, and I finally got back to shore. At that stage, I'd pretty much given away the race. Uh, but I managed to get myself back into the right headspace by the time I got to the bike, did the run, and, uh, and away we went. Um, so I can understand that fight or flight feeling when you get swallowed up, when you're in panic mode, right? You're reacting. So one of the pictures that I wanted to paint here, one of the lines that I think is really cool, is your picture of the finish line determines how you run. If you look at Maverick, he's only got eyes for the finish line, right? He knows where he's going, and he's just he's only got eyes for, for where he's going. Reginald, he couldn't care about the finish line at the moment, to be honest. All he wants to do is get past this fish here, because he's prepared to sacrifice him, <laughs> just to not get eaten, okay? So I have a question for you. If this represents the promised land... And this represents the world. Which fish are you? Because your attitude will determine how you run. Your picture of the finish line and your attitude will determine how you run. Philippians 3, 12, 16. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Greg shared a little gem um, in a message a few weeks back. It was one of those ones that God puts an exclamation point on. You know, when you hear something and it can just be a few words sometimes, you're like, whoa. And it was, the land you keep looking back at, you'll return to. And again, poor poor Reginald, he's so focused on what's behind him, the reality is that's where he's going to end up because it's just slowing him down. Right, And we see it all around us. We see cycles of abuse. We see addictions. We see poverty mindsets and lives lived in fear. We have the power to break these cycles by focusing on a limitless source of of strength with an attitude of love. And so I encourage you to take a hold of that. So you've got a little triangle there. And at the very bottom of that triangle is attitude and motivation. This triangle is going to form a bit of a tool for you over the next little while, whoa, little while, I'm going to go a bit faster now, um, but uh, I'm hoping it's something you're going to be able to use when we get to the end. So the next area we're going to talk about is expectations and rationale, the why, and again, Greg talked about the importance of this earlier in the series, right, we focus a lot on the how, um, we tend not to get into the, um, into the why. So understanding the why, to in- inspire a shared purpose The leader must know, believe, and be devoted to living out the purpose of their God, their organization, and their family. Most of you guys are working. If I asked you to put your hand up if you knew what the vision of your company was, chuck a hand up. If you knew. Do you know know what it is? Could you repeat it back to me? Right? 
Mo- virtually every organisation has one, right? But very few people know what they are. It's a travesty. Vision is about sight, not about doing stuff. It's having clarity of a desired outcome, a desired state. People really strive when they believe in and own the vision, so it's that important. So, for example, if Kirk decided, I'm going to be fitter, (laughs) or rather Mel had a vision of a fitter Kirk, (laughs) and Kirk bought into said vision, that is his vision. He can see himself as this ultra-athlete, this marathon runner in his future, right? And he's going to own it. The goals and plans are, are more to do with the doing stuff, right? So the goals are specific numerical producers of your vision, and they need to be smart. And what do I mean by a smart goal? They need to be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. For example, I want to run a marathon by the end of 2017. Hey, Kirk, maybe a half, half marathon. <laughs> Okay, so you get the picture. I want to be fit. The goal is I want to be fit so I can run a marathon. We're getting more specific. And then you've got plans. And you've all have heard the term, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it's absolutely bang on. But another word for plans is strategy. So what is your strategy to run this marathon? He's going to identify the event that he wants to run in. Perhaps research heart rate training because he doesn't want to blow himself up and get injured along the way. Compile a training plan, which will be uber detailed, and find a running partner, probably. So those are some, some examples of plans uh, that he may have. I mentioned to us, inspire a shared purpose that the leader must know, believe, and be devoted to living out. I want you to circle that. Living out the purpose of their God, their organization, or their family. Why is living out important? It's about proof versus theory. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not sold out on proof, but in this situation, it's important. It can also be the difference between a leader and a boss, right? We can either walk the talk or just talk a good talk, okay? So um, I'm going to help you get a feel for what I'm talking about, and I need two volunteers. I promise this time I'll give you chocolate, not, not carrots. Okay, two volunteers, very simple exercise. Excellent, and yep. Cool, come on up. All right, so what I want you to do, I'm going to give you that piece of paper there. All I want you to do exactly what he says. Now you're going to not look at it. All you're going to do is explain to her how to fold a dart. Simple, right? You've got 60 seconds to explain to her how to fold a dart, and I want you to do exactly what he says. Does that make sense? Great. Go for it. Uh, Very cool. Okay, excellent. You you don't have to worry about it anymore. Chris, I'm going to get you to stay here, though. I'm going to give you... um, Mel, I'm going to get you to do this. Chris, pop over here, mate. I want you to show Mel how to fold a dart, and Mel, I want you to follow him. All right? Again, you've got 60 seconds to fold a dart. All right, time's up. Mel, have you got a pretty good dart? Give Give it a throw. Does it work? <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty good, right? We we got we got there with the dart. Point of the exercise, right? There is power in your actions. That is how we learn. We learn often by seeing things. 
all right, as opposed to just hearing things. So again, message. Do you talk the talk or do you walk the walk? Next point. What is in it for me or you? In times of change, what's in it for me is a question you need to answer. That's not to suggest that most people are selfish, although our experience can sometimes prove different. It's simply a fact that personal context is usually the first filter we use to evaluate our environment. As a leader, your challenge is to validate the journey of change. And that's what I mean by what's in it for you. Because we need to, as leaders, validate that change. Every change begins with an ending. It's profound, isn't it? People will look at the present and try and compare it to the future by asking countless questions. What am I losing? Where am I headed? What will this new place look like? How will things be different to what I have now? Who will be my teammates? What will the expectations be for my contribution? And what performance metrics will be used? Does that sound familiar? Especially the first half a dozen odd? Yeah. In other words, what's in it for me? To be fair, some people are motivated by the stick and others are motivated by the carrot. That was a bit cheeky of me to give you a carrot. So. It's not a stick, but it's a, it's a <laughs> snick as well. Oh, yeah. Chris, Chris is just gently reminding me of my <laughs> obligations as a leader. <laughs> he did it gently, thankfully. A, a good example um, is, is um, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your attitude probably determines which side of that equation you take away. Are you focused on the wages of sin or death or on the free gift available to you through Christ Jesus? House rules and rules of engagement. Who has rules for their kids at home? Oh, did I miss it? Sorry. By the stick and carrot. I was too busy focusing on my dad joke. Who has rules for their kids at home? Isn't that cruel? What do you have rules? What are your rules designed to do? Correction, bring order. They're designed to be freeing, right? So um, I googled uh, bad choices. Why do people make bad choices? <laughs> I said bad choices are generally motivated by stress, fear, greed, anger, impatience, distrust, and pride. All sorts of fleshy stuff, right? Remember our mate Reg? Poor Reg. Rules and boundaries are there to provide freedom from fear if we function from the right operating system. Again, it's to do with your attitude. We had a meeting in my branch uh, where we agreed on some house rules. And, uh, and I got the team to come up with those house rules and I just gently corralled them in the direction that I wanted them to go and I needed them to go um, in a few key points. But we agreed as a team on what the house rules were. We actually then took them, we stuck them to the back of the toilet door. You can't avoid them then, right? Everyone uses the bathroom. And we held each other accountable to those house rules and they made a big, big difference. 
So key points, shared purpose is about vision, goals and plans. What's in it for me and you? House rules and rules of engagement. And that makes the second part of our triangle, expectations and rationale. Next I'm going to get to behaviours and actions, the how. I love this. Intent reveals desire. Action reveals commitment. I had a training partner, one of my best mates in Cambridge, who, um, who put it a little bit differently to that, to be fair. He said, um, people intend to do loads of stuff. Winners commit. Was losers intend to do loads of stuff. Winners commit. He's trying to motivate, motivate, motivate me to go for a run with him. It didn't work, but it was pretty crude what he was saying, but there's a lot of truth to it as well, right? Um, so what's the difference between um, a behaviour and an action? An action is something you do, whereas a behaviour is a way in which a person responds to a situational stimulus. So the question is, do you react or do you respond? Has anyone ever sent an email that they immediately regretted sending? Or said something out of frustration or anger that you immediately regretted saying? That's a reaction. All right? Leaders are charged with responding, not reacting. So when it comes to actions, uh, one of the things that I would challenge my team on regularly, well, what are the three to five specific actions that when you do them really well will produce the greatest result? What are the three to five specific actions that when done well produce the greatest result? And I think about my triathlon training plan, right? It was really specific. I had in there uh, that I was going to be running, went for about seven or eight weeks, and I had uh, plans for what I was going to be doing in the morning and the evening to get myself in a position where I could race this race, right? And it needed to be specific, because otherwise I would have found a way out of it. Um, The art of specificity, say that ten times fast. It's being specific, right? Specificity creates accountability, both to others and to yourself. So for my training plan, it was accountability. I knew where I needed to be, and I knew if I, filled, if I fulfilled that training plan, I would be in the physical condition needed to complete the triathlon. Um, but it also limits your possible outcomes. In fact, there's only four possible outcomes to a specific action, and I'm going to touch on those in a second. So what do specific actions look like? Very simply, and this is really important, if you're going to take something away around specific actions, this is it. It's about getting granular with what are you going to do, so what, how much, and by when. What are you going to do? I'm going to swim. How much? I'm going to swim for either 20 minutes or for 40 lengths. And by when? I'm going to do it before, within 48 hours, for example, right? The more specific you are with the actions, the more accountable you become, and therefore the more likely you are to follow through. And there's four possible outcomes to a specific action. Either you did it and it worked, in which case you do what? Repeat, repeat, repeat. You did it and it didn't work, in which case you change it. Because we know Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different outcome. You didn't do it, 
and we're going to talk about that in a second, or you did something else, in which case, what did you do, and analyse that. Did it work? Did it not work? And adjust accordingly. You have to analyse the action, not the result. And I'm going to give you a, a pointed example of a lot of, uh, I've spent uh, the last, or about 12 months or so, uh, coaching branch managers and staff around this, and this is applicable for any sales staff, right? So let's say you had two sales staff, Rob and Bob. They're both out there to get referrals, okay? And at the end of the night, as, my, as the boss, I come in and I say to Rob, Rob, how'd you go today, mate? And he goes, I got six referrals. I'm like, good job, Rob, that is outstanding. Pat on the back, we should go for a beer and celebrate, great job. Bob, what about you? How'd you go tonight? Oh, I got one. Yeah, better luck tomorrow. Who worked harder? The results would tell you that Rob worked harder. But it wasn't, right? Bob slugged his guts out that day. He was just doing the wrong thing. Rob had four lucky wins. Uh, six lucky wins, excuse me. Okay? But Bob goes home that night, gutted, thinking, what have I got to do? I'm going to get up tomorrow morning. I don't want to go to work because I work my guts, out, my guts out and I don't seem to get the result, right? It's not The result is not necessarily linked to the effort. It can be specific to what's being done. And as a leader, if you're in a sales environment specifically in this instance, all right, or you're trying to motivate or coach someone, you need to observe, you need to analyse that result to work out what's actually going on here, all right? And if you can get... A hold of the person who got the outcome because successful people often find it really hard to articulate what they did well, right? But if you can, why wouldn't you replicate it, right? The All Blacks won every game last season. Do you think that the coach is like, nah, take a few weeks off, we're not going to bother with training before the next game? No way, man. They get into their training. They get into analysis. In fact, Gilbert Anoka, who's the mental skills coach for the All Blacks, he says that they train, like, he said that winning, winning is a poor teacher. Losing is a great teacher. It creates a bit of dissension because Steve Hansen's like, oh, we don't need to lose to learn. <laughs> These are his words, literally. He said, winning is a poor teacher. Steve Hansen's like, yeah, we don't have to lose to win. A typical shag fashion. All right. But I want to touch on... Um, why you wouldn't do it. And that brings me to the next point. Uncomfortable behaviours are usually the behaviours that yield the biggest returns. We know this, right? Surrender, forgiveness, unconditional love. God's goal for his children isn't comfort. It's the transformation of our minds to the attitude of Christ. Okay? Uncomfortable behaviours are usually the behaviours that yield the biggest returns. One of the easiest you'll find, easiest things you'll ever find in life is a reason not to do the thing you didn't want to do in the first place. They're everywhere, these excuses. My staff knew that. They were good. They threw every excuse under the sun at me, right? And I used to hit them with the saying, I'd be like, it's not a matter of time, because that was always the biggest one. I was so busy, I didn't have time. Right? They were, were going to make calls to customers to do profiles and all sorts of things. Didn't have time. I used to say to them, it's not a matter of time, it's a matter of priorities. 
if you listen carefully, there's a little voice in your head that goes, it's God, right? It's like, ah, snap. <laughs> it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of priorities. Greg, you're welcome. There'll be a lot more people coming along to Wednesday pre-meeting. <laughs> we will make the time for that which we truly desire. Next point. As a leader, you must wear two hats. A coach and a player's hat. Now, when I say a coach, you could be a dad, you could be a manager, you could be a pastor, you're a coach. As a leader, you're a coach. But equally, you're a player. My staff were players, I was the coach. All right? Um, but when I was on the floor, I was also the player. As a coach, your actions support the actions and development of others. Coaching, follow-up, and courageous conversations are all important aspects of leadership. What do I mean by courageous conversations? Go! Conversations that most people aren't willing to have. Absolutely. Could be as simple as, I'm really sorry, I made a hash of that, or I reacted, right? Even as a leader, I'm really sorry. Or it could be, I can see that this job makes you really unhappy. Maybe we should be looking at something different for you to do, either with us or elsewhere. You're nodding and smiling. We've had this conversation, right? They're hard conversations to have, but they're important. I've actually had, a st- I had staff in that branch who, after some pretty honest conversations, decided to go and do something else. Uh, one of them went and, and changed careers entirely and then came back to me and thanked me. <laughs> right? So there's ways of handling things and then there's ways of handling things. As a player, we must model what is right, not just teach what is right. And powerful leadership emerges when one's life matches the message. These are both messages that Greg spoke to you about on night one. Okay. You're under the microscope, and it's easy to become distracted when things get hard, and it's easy to become complacent when things are going well. I've got a, a little phrase there. The enemy of the best is the good. The opposite of the best is the worst, but the enemy of the best is the good. It's very easy to become distracted by the good and not focus on the best. And again, I'd like to think we probably know that better than most. When things are going really well, we tend to ease up on the best actions and settle for good, and it's a very slippery slope. Okay, so what have you done? You've completed your triangle, you've closed that bad boy in, Now, in the middle, you've got results and outcomes, and we're not really going to touch on those because, to be honest with you, they'll take take care of themselves, okay? And again, like I said to you earlier, we tend to put a lot of focus, time, and effort on the results and outcomes unnecessarily. We need to change our view to something a bit different, and I hope I've covered that off for you tonight. So this becomes a diagnostic tool to help you consultatively identify, consultatively identify, identify the areas that require attention when you're not seeing the outcome or result you desired for in a given situation. But remember, a great leader will always look in the mirror first. This becomes a diagnostic tool 
to help you to consultatively identify the area that requires attention when you're not seeing the outcome or result you desired in a given situation. But remember, a great leader will always look in the mirror first. Consultatively identify. C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-T-I-V-E-L-Y. Yep. I'm going to tell you what it means. It means asking questions, not making assumptions. Right? Good leaders have all the right answers. Great leaders have all the right questions. I can't tell you the amount of times that I had formed an opinion in my mind as to what was going on with a particular staff member because I would use this as a diagnostic tool. And I'm going to go through the triangle, right? Were they clear on what the expectations were? Were they doing the right behaviours and are they motivated to do well? Right? And so I'd had it in my mind where which, which part of the triangle it was that they were missing. Because if you're missing part of that, you're out. You'll be able to see it and therefore using a tool, you'll be able to fix it. You'd start to work out where to focus your energy as a leader. I had it in my mind. I know what it is. And then through asking questions, I started to realise I have no idea what it is. There's something else going on in their world, and the conversation would change direction totally, and it was amazing what would come out of some of those conversations, right? Some real amazing um, conversations happened in that space. So that's what I mean. So what was the outcome for the branch? Well, I've put down there the path to performance by Bruce Tuckerman, and it's bang on. Storming, norming, performing. And I can tell you, we went through some storming. Uh, the first six to eight to ten weeks was absolute bedlam. And we lost people, we hired new people, um, we moved people around to different positions, we did all sorts of stuff. And then things started to normalise a wee bit, we got our house rules sorted out by then, we started to move into expectations and, and actions and behaviours. And then they started to get a hold of this vision that we, that we had for the future of the branch being super successful and them being successful along with it. And away we went. I mentioned to you at the beginning that branch was either sitting second to last or last for the three to six months leading up to this change. Twelve months after, where do you think it was? First. First. Um, which was an awesome achievement. And, th- and that was down to their hard work, right? Um, but they also needed leading. As a result of that, I got offered a regional position doing a very similar thing, teaching these sorts of messages to other branch managers to help them achieve the same sort of thing. That was what uh, prompted the move here to Wellington, um, and so I got asked to do that in the uh, top of the South Island and the bottom of the North Island. The region when we, came, when we moved down here at that point was sort of sitting 6th or 7th. Where do you reckon the region's sitting today? First. I don't say that to boast. I say that because I know this stuff works, and I've been very blessed uh, to be able to have uh, some great information, some great support, and a great leader. Okay. If you deal with teams, you might add one to the beginning of that, and that would be forming. Forming, storming, norming, and performing. I just want you to get, I want you to take a couple of minutes. I'm going to do this quickly as opposed to the elongated version I had planned originally, but I just want to ask you this. Taking those three sides of the triangle, if the attitude you had was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, if the expectation was, 
I'm called to maturity in right relationship with God. And the behaviors were seeking him through prayer, eating of his word, fellowshipping with others and walking with others. What do you reckon the result or the outcome would be? Can you just take a minute and just think about that? I'm going to give you a minute to, to think about that. If the attitude was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The expectation was you've been called to maturity and right relationship with God. And the behaviors were seeking him through prayer, eating of his word, and fellowshipping and walking with others. What do you reckon the result or the outcome would be? Can I ask a couple of people to share? What'd you come up with? Christ-likeness. Is that what we've been called to? Cool. What else? Anyone got something different? Something different? Shirley? Fantastic. That would be overflow, right? It comes out of the overflow. That Again, that's an outcome. What else? Again, is that what Greg's been talking about for the last wee while? Or forever? (laughs) Get to know him. Again, we focus on the other stuff, right? What's the most important stuff? Remember, the opposite of the best is the good. The best Getting to know him. What else? One more? Beautiful. That's awesome. Thank you very much. I'd love for you to just take a little minute and, um, and perhaps in your tables, just discuss what, what were some of the key points that you took out of tonight? What were some of the things that really sort of rammed home for you? And I'm hoping that everyone's, everyone's probably got something a little bit different, which is cool. Um, sometimes sharing these sorts of things can create those light bulb or aha moments amongst others. So um, how long have we got, Greg? It's five past eight. Oh, we've got half an hour. We've got oodles of time. I don't know why I was rushing. <laughs> so take a little bit of time. Digest some of the information. Then I'd love some conversation at your tables around what did you get out of this? What did you find powerful? What speaks to you? You might just find you've got a, a bit of uh, a partner in crime. You might have someone who's... Uh, on the same page as you.